Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Thank you so much, friends, for tuning in to another episode of Infertility and Me Podcast. I'm your host, Monique Farouk. If this is your first time, welcome, welcome, welcome. So glad that you're here. Hate that we had to meet this way, but happy that you are getting the support and help that you need through this podcast and platform and through our guests who so bravely and courageously come onto the show and share publicly in this way. Today we have Emma, thank you so much, my dear, for coming on the show and giving us some of your time and telling us one of the most vulnerable parts of your life. Thank you, Monique. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here um, and to be able to, yeah, I love being guests on podcasts and to be able to come and share my story and hopefully help, <laughs> help so people along right? the way as well. Yeah. yeah. Yes, absolutely. It's a blast, especially when we can connect uh, across the seas and uh, around the world. So I do appreciate it. And how did you and your spouse meet before this crazy, crazy world of IVF and infertility and trying to conceive started for you guys? Okay, this is actually a really good story. <laughs> so I was single. Um, as you would hope. <laughs> and I had come out of quite a bad breakup about a year before that and had decided to go and travel the world. So I'd moved home with my long suffering parents, handed in my notice and began to save up and booked around the world ticket by myself, which I was really scared about doing. But it was like the ideal time. It was like now mm -hmm. or never. Something I'd always wanted to do, yeah. but it had never been the right time. And now it was. And then I, um, my friend, Louise, who is now my sister-in-law, um, she got married mm -hmm. and she sent around her wedding video and I, she sent it around on Messenger. I'd not realized that it'd gone to lots of people as well as myself. And mm -hmm. I'd watched the video. It was beautiful. I replied and said, oh, you look gorgeous, blah, blah, blah. And then said, oh my goodness, your brother-in-law, your new brother-in-law is really hot. <laughs> But what I didn't realise <laughs> is the message went out to everybody who went to that wedding, oh, including him. Gosh. And um, I, rem I distinctly remember I'd gone, to, I'd sent the reply. I'd gone to have my dinner at my mum's and I could hear my computer going ping, 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 ping. And I'm thinking, what, mm -hmm. what is going on? And I went back and happening. there's all these messages, people going, I bet she didn't realise she sent it to all of us. And then Adam, my now husband, yeah. replied, going, oh, you know, and it was, I was so embarrassed and not looking for a relationship yeah. literally three weeks later about to go traveling. But I la we laughed about it. And then his dad was very poorly at the time. Um, and and he, mm -hmm. he messaged me to say, please don't be embarrassed. I'm very flattered. It's really nice of you. We kind of got chatting. And then he said, look, I know that you're going away in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. But I just wondered if you would like to go out. And I was like, oh, um, he said, you know, I, he was looking after his dad who had terminal, a terminal illness. He said, you know, come out with mm. me. Let's go and have some fun and enjoy ourselves before you go. So we went on two dates and it was very obvious, mm -hmm. I think, 
that we really liked each other, but I was still going to go. So off I went and then we kept in touch and I did my thing and he did his. And then his father Mm -hmm. sadly passed away during the time I was away. And then I got a message from him saying, um, how hard is it to get a job in Australia? And I said, I don't know. I'm not in Australia. I'm in in India. (laughs) And he said, I said, why? He said, well, you're like, he said, would it be weird if I came and joined you? to do some traveling and I thought would it be weird and I thought well no because I've got a mutual friend so I know he's not you know I know he's a good normal person and I was traveling with lots of people that I just met while traveling and I thought do you know what why not so I said to him look you can come out mm-hmm. if we don't get on you're gonna have to go and travel by yourself and he was like okay and I never thought he would actually come and then he did so like he, oh, yeah, he came just before Christmas and um, we traveled around Australia together and then we stayed in Australia. So that was in a camper van and you get to know people quite well when you're in a camper van for two months <laughs> together. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then we Absolutely. lived in Sydney and we worked in Sydney. And then it was very obvious then I think that we were going to be together. Then we did some more traveling in New Zealand. Then we came home and we just, that was it. We, you know, from him coming out, that was it. And then we got married um, in 2014. And we are still together today. Wow. So, yeah, it was a it was a really, you know, lovely love story, I guess. It doesn't always work like that, does it? But mm-hmm. it's kind of like the whirlwind that it was. But, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm so glad I sent that message now. I just now love how it came lesson. together for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I love how it came together for you guys. Yeah. It does. Um, yeah. That's really, truly incredible because you guys got to see each other in different lights and facets of who you are as individuals, being able to travel like that in a group setting. That's really, really cool. I love that. Wow. So you guys get back home and Mm -hmm. the wedding takes place and you're settling into your new life. How long did you guys wait before uh, starting to try to have a baby and you know, were there discussions? So, I know there were, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So we we got back from got back from traveling and I think it was around two years later when we got married. And I think leading up to the wedding we we stopped using contraception. And I think naively, mm-hmm. like perhaps lots of us do, because we don't know any different then, just thought that we would yeah. get pregnant and have a baby, right? <laughs> like happens to lots mm-hmm. of people. Mm-hmm. Um and then after the wedding began kind of less casually trying and more like thinking about it all a bit more all consuming i would say and so probably after a total mm-hmm. of about a year of trying we after nothing was happening went to the doctor and the doctor did some like initial labs and said i think there's potentially issues on both sides they then referred us to a specialist mm-hmm. doctor so like an obgyne um and they did some more tests and then they said that I was perimenopausal at the age of, was I 30, about 30, 34, I think. Now, I do have mm-hmm. a family history of early menopause around about the age of 40, 41. And I'm now in like okay. full, um, I'm, on, I'm on HRT now, I'm in full flow of, of, of menopause. Um but that was a lot to kind of hear at such a young age, really. And then my husband was told sure. that he had issues yeah. on his side with like motility and um, I think was it motility and concentration, I think were the two things. So 
they said to us that we would never conceive naturally, which was a very difficult thing to hear. And after all the years that you spend trying not to get pregnant <laughs> when you're younger and then like, mm-hmm. you know, to be told that I was like, wow, OK. But I still think part of me still thought, well, it's OK, because we'll just have IVF, not realising what that even yeah. meant, not even realising that that wasn't a guaranteed outcome and that it's expensive and all of the things. So when I said to them, so can we have IVF then? They said, well, we just need to let you know two things. One, you, your chances of I, using IVF is about 3 to 5% success rate. And we were like, oh, we were not expecting that. Um, and then here in the UK, we've got the NHS and our National Health mm-hmm. Service in some areas in the UK supports fertility treatment. It depends on where you live. And the eligible, eligibility mm-hmm. criteria depends on where you live too. So in our area, mm-hmm. um, there was the option to go for one cycle, but I was told I needed to reduce my my body mass index, my weight, which I did. I lost a significant amount of weight um, and went back to be told that, unfortunately, the rules in the area changed again and the BMI limit had reduced further. So could I lose some more weight? Yeah, if I'd have lived, let's say five kilometers down the road, I would have qualified. So by this point, we are very upset and angry and frustrated and not really knowing what to do. Um, And I wasn't even any help to lose the weight. And I just felt that, I mean, even when I was at my, my, you know, biggest, I was still fit and healthy and it wasn't, my diagnosis was nothing Mm -hmm. to do with my weight, but I understand that to get the state funded treatment, there are the rules to, to, you know, you've got to you've got to be yeah. yeah yeah frustrating that I lost that mm-hmm. way and then to be told that the goalposts had moved again I just felt like it'd been a complete and utter waste of time um so at that point we decided that losing more weight was not an option and that time was just not on our side with a low AMH and we were fed up of being in this because it's all consuming isn't it it's so consuming mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I did not want to be on this roller coaster for life so we left not knowing what on earth we were going to do. Um, yeah. And then we were like, right, well, it's either sort of adoption or it's private fertility treatment, but we knew that we didn't have the money for that and we would have to move in again with parents to to save up, which is what we, which is what we did. We explored adoption, but that wasn't for us. That's a very grueling process, as I'm sure you probably, probably know. Um, and then we looked at UK clinics, but they are so expensive, not comparative to America expensive, but they are mm-hmm. they are very expensive in comparison to lots of other places. And we just didn't yeah. feel that we found the gel with, with any of the teams that we spoke to. And it's such a sensitive topic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is not, we're not buying cars or houses. This is, this is like really big stuff. And, the way people are with you can really make or break a process. People can't promise you the outcome, but they can be better at what they do. They can be more empathetic. And it just felt a bit conveyor belt like, and it was also super expensive. It was really hard to even just get like, well, can you tell me what the costings are going to be? It was like, I was asking them to, I don't know, do something in another language you didn't understand. It just, it never felt right from the beginning. And I was just like, well, I don't want to have, I don't want to have treatment with them either. And the money that we'd yeah, saved up yeah. would have funded one round in the UK, 
Now, once that money had gone, mm-hmm. it had gone, and there was no more money. We were then going to move on to Plan B, which was probably moving back to Australia. So it felt okay. like a lot of money to gamble when I, we had such low chances of it working. So then we mm-hmm. began to look at IVF mm-hmm. abroad. I don't know what made us think to do that, uh, particularly not going back, let's say, six, seven years ago, because back then this was not something people were talking about. You couldn't find podcasts on this. You couldn't find Instagram accounts on this. You know, the only things I'd ever heard about people going abroad for procedures were negative stories, not around fertility, but let's say around cosmetic surgery. You know, and you'd see see something in a newspaper that you'd pick up in the hairdresser and think, oh, gosh. Um, But I guess perhaps the traveller in me, perhaps out of desperation back then, we were open to exploring different options and we did end up going abroad to Europe and Mm -hmm. we paid a lot less money. So our budget stretched further. We had kind and compassionate care that was transparent with no waiting lists. We actually loved being away from home while having our treatment. It was really nice. Um, And because we were able to stretch our budget further, we were able to pay for the treatment that we needed and have our little boy. Now, we ended up having donor conception, both egg and sperm donation, um, which was never mentioned to us in the UK as an as an option. I, I don't know why. It's something that they, they do here. Mm-hmm. Um, and thank goodness the clinics abroad did. They were very like, if you want to use your own egg and sperm, we'll support you. But we really do not think it's going to work. And while hearing mm-hmm. that is very hard, I like the honesty. They didn't just want to take our money. Do a few cycles, you know, they were, this is our recommendation, but we will support you in your decision. And I think that's super important. And f- thankfully, that's the route that we followed because it did take three attempts. And on the third attempt, I became pre- pregnant with twins. Now, sadly, at 10 weeks pregnant, I did lose one of my twins. Um, and then my son was born. He's now just over five. So, um yeah, we had a great clinical experience, but we didn't really know what we were doing. We were in, in the UK. Do you know the phrase when we say like winging it? Like you're just flying by the seat of your pants. You just yeah. kind of hope on a wing and a prayer. Yeah. But I didn't want to be like that. But that could, I didn't I didn't know anybody else that had done it. I couldn't find any help. Right. Um, but clinically, we had a great experience. So I wanted people to know that actually, if you're going to go privately for your fertility treatment, there are other options other than just kind of what's down the road from you or in your own country and actually they might be better they might save you money you know there are all IVF is not the same all clinics have different specialisms you know and by mm-hmm. taking this into account can be the the kind of differentiator between whether people perhaps have a baby or not like in our example you know quite simply put if we'd have had yeah. treatment in yeah. the UK we wouldn't have our son there was no more money that was it um so yeah that's kind of that's kind of our our journey really yeah the, the whole run day run down yeah wow <laughs> at parker our purpose is simple we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently by using more sustainable practices by developing better technologies we keep moving forward with each new idea innovation and partnership we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day to find out more Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. So did you find it difficult to get the information? Well, I know you said that your 
your clinic that you ended up using for both egg and sperm donation to conceive you guys' son was very, yeah. very helpful. And it, and it sounds to me just from you talking that it was like, kind of like felt like it was like you guys were meant to be there because they had literally everything that you need, every resource that you needed. And they sounded like they were very, very helpful. And so was there any part of the research aspect that you found difficult that they helped ease you guys into and made more clear? I think back then I didn't, I am, I suppose I am a natural researcher, I would say, but I didn't really know what I was necessarily doing. Maybe I knew what questions to ask, not like I could do now, but um, they were just very accommodating with questions. There was never too many questions. They didn't get annoyed if you asked quite lots of questions mm-hmm. and they directed you to things. But, you know, I must be honest and say that I still went through the experience thinking that it was going to be okay and thinking that it was safe and thinking I understood. Whereas I look back now and think I didn't fully. Fortunately, I had a great outcome. But now I know much more, mm-hmm. you know, I obviously would do things mm-hmm. perhaps slightly differently, but we had a brilliant clinic and a great outcome. And I think that clinical match in terms of not just your medical needs, but your personality too, is so important to the experience that you're going to have. It doesn't change the outcome, but it changes you perhaps going through something and looking back with no regrets, whatever the outcome. Mm-hmm. And I think that is so important. It was to me anyway. I know that if we'd have gone in the UK, spent all of our money on one round of own egg IVF and not got a baby at the end of it, I'd have probably said, thought to myself, well, if I'd have gone abroad though, I could have had more rounds and maybe then, you know, and, and of course that was our reality. So I think it's about, you know, feeling as well. But I think sometimes we feel, and I don't think this necessarily happens in other things where there's a financial trans- transaction, but with, when it comes to fertility treatment and doctors, sometimes we feel a bit worried about asking questions or that we shouldn't yeah. or we don't know what to ask but you know you are paying customers and irrespective of where you go and have your fertility treatment whether you're saving money by going here or not you are spending a lot of money with this clinic you ask your questions and I think I've grown in confidence but that confidence only came from going through the process so I want people to realize that you know they can ask those doctors whatever they like and you should ask lots mm-hmm. of questions. And actually, the way in which mm-hmm. a clinic responds gives you a really good indication as to probably whether or not you should be partnering with them, I think. Yep, absolutely and totally agree. I do want to ask, in relation to the BMI laws and restrictions in the UK, how was that different getting treatment abroad from you guys? Were this, the stipulations or the restrictions more lenient, and so to speak? Um, for BMI and in, in, in the possibility of you having to carry the baby because that's always a concern too. It's not just about like going through the process of the treatment and retrieving and and um, doing transfers, but it's also about the health of the mother as she proceeds with her pregnancy. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say there's not kind of a legal limit in the UK or a legal limit abroad. It tends to be clinic mm-hmm. specific. Okay. In the UK, um, there aren't many clinics that would go above um, BMI of 35. Now, similarly, in Europe, there are lots of clinics that won't go above a BMI of 35. But there are some that will differentiate if you are, say, for example, having a frozen transfer or egg donation. So they're not having to use sedation to retrieve your eggs. There might be some more leeway, which is much better than a blanket kind of 35. That's it. Mm -hmm, And then mm -hmm. there are some still safe clinics that will say they don't have a BMI limit. 
But what they do, instead of just closing the book, they assess you properly. Is it safe? Because ultimately, we, we only want to work with clinics, so we're going to be looking after our safety and the safety of any children that might come along as a result. You know, I believe that they've got a, a care, you know, duty of care to think beyond into pregnancy as well. Where I think clinics shouldn't have the choice, though, is to make decisions for people. If it's safe to do so and they've had all the information and they still want to go ahead, then I believe it should be the woman or the couple's choice to do so because there are lots of people who get pregnant and have healthy pregnancies and babies who have higher BMIs, but because they're getting pregnant naturally, they nobody's governing that over them. Mm-hmm. But of course, you mm-hmm. know, you've got to be, there will be some clinics that are not, not safe clinics that will do anything to anybody that they ask. And we don't want them either. <laughs> you want a clinic yeah, that- you got to find a healthy medium, right? Like healthy medium, between. absolutely. Yeah. And again, it's about them giving you the information and you making an informed decision. So you understanding things. And if there are risks, then then them not treating you, but then perhaps giving you the support that you need to lose the weight, not just being sent away and go, well, go on, off you go, lose weight. Um, I mean, I lost six stone. I don't know what that, mm-hmm. you, you kilos, aren't you, in the States? Are you kilos? We're um, pounds, mostly. You're pounds, yeah, we're okay. We're mostly pounds, yeah. So I yeah. lost about 84 pounds. Wow, to have my tremendous. NHS treatment, to then be told I needed to lose more, um, wow. which is incredibly, you know, frustrating. That is so, uh, amazing, yeah. Yeah. So, wow. no, not all clinics abroad offer higher limits. Um, mm-hmm. And there are some that, that offer no limits that I wouldn't recommend. And then there are, are some that are flexible on limits again, but mm-hmm. are much more have a much more safe, happy medium kind of approach. Yeah. Thank you for that information because there's a lot of women I see in the community when I'm just watching online and, and just um, scrolling and they they speak about this this issue often, um, mm. especially for women who have always been on the higher side of the BMI chart and they were, I guess, naturally, um, you know, that way. I guess, I yeah. guess that's the right term. Yeah, like in childhood, you see it, they, they're just a little bit larger than everybody else. And so I think that that the awareness of this issue is really important because what do we do in those cases then medically, right? Because this person yeah. is, is exercising, this person is eating the things that, that, are, that are included in the well-balanced diet. It's just that their genes specifically are different from someone else's. And that's also normal. And recently yeah. in the U.S., they've made some tr- um, some changes to clinics, um, restrictions and or stipulations in their liabilities for treating patients in fertility clinics with higher BMIs because they've started to realize and recognize that this is someone's normal. You know, even with all the exercise, the dieting, like this is her normal, like (laughs) this is his normal, you know? And so we have to, we cannot shine a blind eye to that kind of a thing, you know, just like someone maybe to somebody else may look too thin, but that's their normal. And um, yeah, this is it. And then you maybe get somebody who's got something like PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. You know, often people who've got PCOS, not always struggle with their weight because of their condition. I think it's about looking at people holistically. And as I said, you know, I'm not saying that every clinic abroad has a higher limit because Mm -hmm. they don't. Um, But I suppose once you're looking outside of one country and considering different ones, you can have more chances of finding a clinic 
that can mm. can help you and also I think the other thing to say is I mean I love food full stop you know I love cooking it I love yeah. eating my family and friends you know eating when we're celebrating eating when we're commiserating you know I am a full-on emotional eater and <laughs> it is my comfort blanket and I think for lots of people it is and so if you're going through a very stressful time like this and, and no one's helping you it also doesn't necessarily help you to lose any weight because you're just so fed up and upset and you know if that's one of your comfort blankets um and people can feel very judged as well and you know you've you've already got enough going on with the fact that you're infertile and we already beat ourselves up enough I think about that blame ourselves often and then you add that in as well and you know sometimes some medical professionals can make people feel really awful about the fact that they're underweight overweight I mean the the BMI Mm -hmm. scale I don't know what they use in America but in the UK is it was built for white men and it was built it's yeah. so out of date it's it's not really an, a very mm-hmm. good tool to measure somebody's suitability to have mm-hmm. a baby and for lots of other things mm-hmm. um so yeah it's it's an interesting one i work with a lot of people with with higher bmis um mm-hmm. and you know a lot of them have gone on to be able to have babies and safe pregnancies and, exactly. and if not if the doctors exactly. have said actually you know you need to lose some weight and hear the reasons why and then they've they've helped them to do that but also you know sometimes what I find is once somebody's kind of shown somebody that we're going to try and help you they start to lose weight because suddenly mm-hmm. they've got a plan they're feeling happier and you know somebody's mm-hmm. helping them and not just shutting the door um which yeah. I think is really hard yeah I didn't, I didn't want to get off too much in attention about BMI, but I think it, it is very, very important because so many people are dealing with it behind closed doors and silently suffering. And over here, we're not yeah. going to do that. We're not going to silently suffer. We're going to no. take that thing head on and, and, and like you said, be organized about our plan. And like you said, also, I really like that you pointed out the fact that if a woman goes on to have a baby naturally, and she is on the higher side of the BMI, nobody says anything. They monitor her yeah. uh, while she's pregnant. And and they just get on with it, you know. And so why would uh, fertility treatments be any different? Now, I know there's a lot of liability if something happens under sedation yeah. or something like that for the fertility clinic. And that's definitely understandable. But if it's not yeah. a life and death risk, then like you said, let me just make that decision for myself. And I'll sign yeah. whatever I need Give to Give me sign, the information. You know, be truthful. And have a plan. Exactly. Yeah. And make your yeah. recommendations. But, you know, there, there are lots of people with higher BMIs who are perfectly healthy. Not all. But yeah, there are lots yeah. Of people that absolutely are. Yes, absolutely, and I think that's um, again outdated. Like you said, you know, all outdated information, and we use the same system here in the U.S. Um, a lot of what we use here in the U.S. comes from European culture and such, and so it's the same here, girl. It's crazy all over the place. It is unfortunately, crazy, but you know, this is why we're here to have the discussions. And yeah, there's a lot of the doctors that I connect with, and so. Hopefully, they will look more into the new research concerning these things Good. for their own. That's really positive, isn't clinics. it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, before we 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 leave today, I mean, what would you say to someone who is processing this this diagnosis of being infertile, and they're looking at all their options, and they've stumbled upon this episode, and they're like, "Well, well, maybe I should take this leap." of IVF abroad possibly to to make this dream happen and to do it more um, cost efficiently and mm-hmm. 
to kind of help ease their mind and or ease the fears. Um, yeah. Especially if they've never traveled abroad and, and don't know much about it. And I think you hit the nail on the head there, Monique. There is a lot of fear of going abroad. And actually, and I'm not here to say go anywhere abroad. It's all safe and all fine because, of course, it's not. Mm -hmm. You do need to know what you're doing. But if there's a part of you listening thinking, oh, okay, maybe this is an option that I'm open to, I think it's about finding out some more information first. So, um, you know, I've got a podcast, which I know Monique's going to kindly link in the show notes that you can maybe have a listen to. There's a blog, so you can start to read and soak up some of that and just get a feeling for whether or not it could be right for you. I've also got a short step-by-step -step free process guide that just walks you through the steps of how it might look when you go abroad. I think sometimes that's helpful because you can then go, ah, okay, I get it, because there'll be so mm -hmm. many questions that you've got. But just to have an overview of how that might look, I think is is super helpful. Come follow me on social media. You know, and then I've got other things that can help people if they need them. You can access it all via my website, you know. Um, and then, like, I offer a picky brain call, which is a great place. So if you've kind of consumed my free stuff and you're thinking, actually, do you know what? We're, yeah, we're thinking this is a serious mm -hmm. like consideration for me or for us. Then I have a pick my brain call where people come on and ask loads of questions about whether or not it's right for them. I'm always very honest. And then from that, mm -hmm. it can kind of help them come up with, a plan and next steps, which is a great place to be because being in limbo is awful. But I would say to people, if you're going to be funding your fertility treatment, then don't let fear stop you from exploring whether or not this could be a great option for you. Because if you're listening to this from the States, then I know that the prices that you guys pay are like crazy, 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 crazy prices. Um, but I also know it's, you know, it's a longer travel for you to get to Europe, time differences and, and things like that. But, you know, there are by saving yourself money, you might stretch your budget further so that you can, you know, have enough treatment to hopefully get a baby at the end of it. And by looking outside of what we typically all tend to do, I think, is we look at the clinics that are closest to mm -hmm. us. Right. Whereas when yeah, you suddenly yeah. start to look outside your home country, you can really start to hone down on which clinics are going to be right for us, which clinics match our medical needs and special specialisms that we need, which clinics match our personalities, which clinics match us if we're having donor conception. And while that can be overwhelming, it also op offers opportunity for people. And obviously I can help you with the things that you need, but, you know, come over on Instagram, come say hi. My inbox is always open. You know, the reason I set this up was because I wanted to give people the support that my husband and I desperately needed and could not find. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, since 2019, for four years I've been doing this now. I've helped hundreds of people from all around the world to do this, including people from America. And it's, it's you know, it's totally doable. So I've trodden this path myself, but also hundreds of times now with lots of other people. But I think it's just a case of, keeping your mind open and consuming some information finding out more and then you'll know whether it's right or not for you and if you don't know mm -hmm. and you need more help you can come and mm -hmm. chat to me and I'll help you to work it out yes and tell us what your Instagram handles and your website is about so we can hear sure. it audibly but I'll definitely have it in the show yeah details. sure so my website is youriVfabroad.co.uk and while it's called your IVF abroad I also help with egg donation, sperm donation, and IUI, just not adoption or surrogacy. Um, and my Instagram handle is Instagram 
com forward slash your IVF abroad. Yes, and you'll find Emma's free resources on her website as well as a link to her podcast and the show details for each episode. And then schedule that consult. Just have a chat. Wherever you are in the world, you can get the answers that you need and some support as well. Uh, thank you, Emma, so much for all the information you shared with us about this process and how you move through it. I appreciate you so much, and I know our friends do as well. You're welcome. Thank you so much, honestly, for, for having yeah. me on. It's, it's been my mm-hmm. pleasure. Thank you, friends, for tuning in to another episode of Infertility and Me Podcast. You guys know where to find me, Infertility and Me Podcast, anywhere and everywhere. Until next time, you guys, peace and blessings. Hey, friend, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Infertility and Me Podcast. You can connect with me and other members in the community on Instagram at Infertility and Me Podcast and or watch on YouTube at Infertility and Me Podcast. You can also email me at infertilityandme at outlook.com for a chance to record and help in the stigmas surrounding infertility so that we can reach more friends who may be silently suffering. Until next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.